Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 630 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. First hour of the show. We had Edmonton Oilers general manager Ken Holland on. He told us that Oscar Clefbaum would not be available this season. Katan Haas may be reporting a little bit late for training camp due to an outbreak uh, situation with COVID in Switzerland. We also had John Shannon, our NHL insider. Hour number two uh, from Inside Sports, Reed Wilkins. A player who may end up being the number one pick in this year's NHL entry draft, the highest-ranked player on a Canadian major junior hockey, according to Bob McKenzie, Dylan Gunther from the Edmonton Oil Kings, and in about 29 seconds' time, out with a new book, Hockey's Hot Stove, longtime prominent uh, writer and hockey voice, L. Strachan. Bob Stoffer with you, Oilers Now, brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex, wishing you and yours all the best during these challenging and uncertain times. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. We uh, will get to uh, a couple uh, texts in about uh, 20 minutes' time on our Ashley Fine Floors text line at 780-496-0063. Ashley Fine Floors, providing winning results for 35 years. But off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, and we welcome to the show Al Strachan. Hi, Al. It's Bob. How you doing? I'm great. How you doing? Good. You know what? I was thinking one of the times that I can remember having you on the show, Al, uh, yeah. was actually during the days of Total Sports. We were at another station, and I, I'm going to give you the going to give you the date: June twenty second, two thousand and six. Three days after the Edmonton Oilers lost Game Seven against the Carolina Hurricanes, you had written a piece that day. Uh, saying that the Edmonton Oilers were going to have to trade Chris Pronger, that he had requested a trade. You, yeah. did, a, you did a pre-tape interview with Speck and me, and during the course of that interview, we received a call from an Oilers executive saying, it's now true, we're going to have to uh, get going here. So that was one of the times I remember having you on the show. So uh, it's yeah. been a while. 
Uh, I remember it, too. I got an incredible amount of abuse for that on Twitter and various other social media, and I don't remember seeing too many apologies when it turned out to be right. Oh, Al, you know that's how it is. People only remember the negative. (laughs) You were absolutely shocked. Uh, I'll also tell you another story. I used to do uh, uh, primary and secondary stats in the 90s uh, for visiting NHL teams. And during the first intermission, everybody on the broadcast side, which was often where the uh, management types were in the building, everybody first intermission would go watch Don Sherry. And in the second intermission, everybody would go and watch the hot stove. And you were part of that hot stove. And uh, and that is kind of the evolution of it, isn't it? How popular it was for, for, for many years. It was incredibly popular in and out of the the game itself. The fans loved it, and the people in hockey loved it so much so that they changed the times marginally, not an awful lot, of the warm-ups of the Western teams so that they could be back in the dressing room after the first warm-up to see that show because nobody ever wanted to uh, miss it. And... Uh, Scotty Bowman mentioned, I think they put it on the book cover, that everybody in hockey, coaches, general managers or whatever, watched that show. You had to watch that show to find out what was going on. And uh, Don was incredibly popular in the first intermission, and then we would come on in the second intermission. And the guy you had on a little bit earlier, John Shannon, was the guy who was responsible for all this. He was, to my mind, a hockey television genius. He was the guy that the Olympics would call every four years to provide the world feed because he was the best at the job and he was the one who started at CBC and suggested that we needed more than one game and there would be a doubleheader, 7 in the East and then uh, 10 o'clock in the East for a Western game starting at whatever time it would be out there and that with Don in the first intermission you needed something in the second intermission to cement it all together to keep the fans around for that second game and then he came up with that and uh, it was uh, an excellent idea and it worked well and of course being brilliant and great at his job, John got fired <laughs> from the CBC that's the way they work over there <laughs> We're joined right now by Al Strack and I got, I'm got i just looking here, I think I got three other books of his on the shelf right in front of me that I can see, uh, the greatness of the great one, one that always makes me kind of laugh why the Leafs suck uh, was another one, but uh, uh, just back to the, the, the hot stuff, you mentioned John, and here's the deal, like full disclosure here Al, I work for the Oilers Energy group and i'm going to tell you this right now i can say whatever i want provided i can back it up but i better be able to back it up when it comes to uh you know criticism and hey when a team's missed the playoffs 12 of the last 13 years going into the 1920 season there's lots of criticism that gets directed an organization's way you had to my understanding in reading and leafing through your book and your publishing house was kind enough to send me a a PDF version, you had a fair amount of latitude. Is that fair to sort of espouse how you, uh, here's the stories and you can go with the stories and you, you didn't necessarily have to protect anybody in the process, did you? Well, as long as John was there, when John Shannon started and stayed there for, I think, six or seven years, yeah, that was the case. But once John left, things changed. Then you got into the bureaucrats and you got people who were appointed not because of what they knew, but because of who they knew and what their gender was and that sort of stuff. And it it all changed after that. And uh, John used to just say, well, as you just said there, if he's right, then that's fine. 
fine. It, we're not here to win fans in the hockey world. We're here to win fans in the TV viewer world. And as long as he's right, that's that's not a problem. And, you know, that was also the way that the Oilers used to work, as you say. And I think that goes back to, to Glenn Sather, who was able to understand that people might have a difference of opinion. And I used to argue with Glenn all the time, so much so that one of his friends wanted to intervene and punch me out at one point because he thought, but Glenn didn't mind. You know, Glenn liked a spirited debate as long as you could back up what you said. And that stayed on through the Oilers tradition. And it was the case in the CBC for a long time. But then it got to the point where they started getting letters, as they do. And as we were talking about earlier with the Pronger thing, you get a lot of people who are unhappy and they send letters. And then some of these people don't want to deal with that. And so as a result, they get rid of the person who is causing the letters. But the show never really should be a popularity contest. I mean, it's, you're not there to win friends. You're there to win viewers. And in order to do that, there has to be a level of conflict, and you have to make some people unhappy along the way. Otherwise, people aren't going to watch. It's not a Disney movie, you know? And so... After John left, it got worse, and, and eventually I got fired for writing that book, Why the Leafs Suck. And last night that I worked on a hockey night, I wrote the story of the Atlanta Thrashers going to move to Winnipeg. And there was never any complaints the entire time I was there, before or after John, about what I had said. Nobody was ever to say that I was wrong, except maybe once every two years or something by some mistake. But but it, it caused a lot of concern, and some people just weren't able to handle it you know al the worst part about that pronger story for me i wasn't uh working uh, for the orders we were on the all sports station at the time is i had probably emails this is not tech now we have text messages and twitter but back yeah. then it was emails i had about four emails a couple in march one in april one in may hey i hear pronger's gonna ask for a trade i'm like come on he just signed a five-year extension here he's not going anywhere right i yeah. completely yeah. i didn't even investigate geez maybe i should have checked it out so the only dummy there uh was me so you had a fair you had a fair amount of latitude to a certain point you kind of said it the way it was. One of the mistakes um, that I make, Al, is if I I don't share the mic enough. Like you got to share the puck as a player. The best <laughs> actors share the screen. The best yeah. actors share the screen. What was it yeah. like trying to you know have enough of a window for everybody to get the storytelling done in a tight enough timeline? Well, we learned pretty quickly from John Shannon, as I say, because Jan, John wouldn't put up with it, and he would just tell you to shut up, <laughs> that sort of thing. And then if we got a new person, so we learned that you had to do it quickly. And, and there's an anecdote in the book when Eric Dahacek joined a little bit later after Jim Houston stopped coming on as often. Eric became the Western guy, and Eric used to like to drone on a little bit. And uh, Eric and I are very good friends, and you know we have talked about this and laughed about this, and and he has seen the chapter and doesn't argue with it in the least. And uh, Shannon's line to him was, Eric, I just asked the time. I don't want you to build a watch. <laughs> and uh, so we would have to start and retape, and we did that a few things. So, he, so you learn that we had eight minutes there, and we had three people who were so supposed to be talking and giving you information, and you had Ron McLean sticking his nose in and giving you stuff that he had no business giving you, so that takes more time. And we had brought a lot of stuff. Everybody there was prepared to give you an awful lot of information. There was stuff that we had worked on all week. And many times, we didn't get to all that we had. 
so we wanted to get our stuff in, and but we would have to get in and get out, and that was just understood out of courtesy to the other members on the panel that you didn't go on too long, and you just learned that through the experience on that particular job, and if you didn't learn it quickly, then John Shannon would certainly tell you. Uh, you guys were the forerunners to what we would now consider the hockey insiders. I mean, it's a term that TSN uses. Uh, we have Elliot Friedman on the show on, on Friday. We have Berkey on the show on Thursday. John's on the show on Monday. So we've got a, and Brian Lawton out of the NHL Network on Wednesdays. Is it done differently today than it was you know, at the genesis of the uh, Hockey Hot Stove with your involvement with CP? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. PCL. It has to be. You can't get to the players anymore the way that we used to get to them. And we Still there? Yeah, we're still there. I still got you. Go ahead. I I got a beep. I got an incoming call that I'm going to ignore. How's that? (laughs) It beeps again. Sword again. And it just did beep again. So anyway, we spent a lot of time uh, getting ready for stuff and and meeting with the players. Many cases, we would go out after games because in those days, the teams usually traveled commercially. And so they'd stay in the town and uh, then they would fly out early in the morning. And uh, we knew almost everybody in the league and the ones we didn't know knew us certainly and we would often end up going out for drinks after a game with them or sometimes the night before for dinner although to their credit players didn't stay out long the night before they were always pretty careful about that and uh, so we gathered all our information that way but now you, you can't do that and we also knew the players well enough so that if we went into a dressing room and there was one guy there and uh, even if there was a crowd of people you could say I need to talk to you okay and he would say alright you know meet me in the coffee shop afterwards or meet me around the corner when this horde goes away or whatever well you can't do that anymore they, they bring out a player and a number of people pointing their cell phones at him run like lemmings over there because they've got a podcast or something and then after two or three questions the PR guy says okay one more and that's it and off he goes and in the meantime he's told you that he's got to take away their time and space and that he was happy to get a hat trick in his last game and yes they're looking to get better and the usual stuff that is of no merit whatsoever so it would be very, very difficult to get that kind of information that we had in a, in a format today. Uh, we're joined right now by Al Strachan. Uh, the book, again, Hockey's Hot Stove, he was a big part of uh, sort of the genesis of what we would consider to be uh, today's modern insiders. I, I got to, you know, and I'm now in my 50s, uh, Al, and I, you know, I started working behind the scenes actually uh, you know, doing graphics and font cord and stats in the 90s, early 90s. But I, I got my one rule of thumb that I've learned over the years is the better, be it a manager, a coach, or a player, the more capable they are of not only handling criticism, but at times wanting feedback. And even if it isn't uh, the most positive, have you experienced that as well with the best people in the business? Well, yeah, but I think hockey really is very good at it and 
comparison to the other sports, just in general. Even even the bad people in hockey aren't as bad as they are elsewhere. And, and most people in hockey, at least when I was doing it, were quite good. And I think that has a lot to do with the nature of the game when it used to be primarily Canadian. And even though it's only maybe about 50% Canadian now, that tradition hangs on that, that you accept responsibility for things. And if you go and talk to a baseball player or basketball, I guess, those kind of, you say, well, you made a mistake. Now they get mad and they'll scream and yell at you, you know. You say to a hockey player, well, you made a mistake. And they yeah, I know, I can't believe I did that. And I did another one later on. Did you notice as well? I should know better than that. And that's the way hockey players are. And I think it has to do with the fact that many of them come up through junior hockey, which, as we know, is in smaller towns. And they, they meet the people. They can't avoid it. And they're going to be told on the way up when they're 16, 17, 18, or whatever, if they have faith. Whereas if you come from some of these other systems, especially the American system, with its uh, sports and college scholarships, they're treated like gods, and they expect to be treated like gods for the rest of their life. So I think the Canadian system has a lot to do with it, but I've always found that uh, Canadians, well, even most hockey people, are pretty good about things, and they will accept criticism as long as it's not really abusive. If, if you say to a guy, you know, I was surprised that you let that guy go around you when you're playing defense. He, he went around, and the guy will say, yeah. but if you say, well, why is this stiff on the ice? He might as well paint him orange. He should be a sure. cold. You know, you know that now they're going to get upset. But I've always found pretty much that if you, if it's fair criticism, as you were talking about before, about the, if it's fair, they'll accept it. Uh, I got to ask you, I know you have a, ch- a couple, you talk about Don Cherry, but also Mike Milbury. Because yeah. as I recall, like, you know, I thought Mike Milbury was maybe in, in, in place to repo- uh, uh, replace Don at one point. He was a pretty good ad for you guys, wasn't he, on that panel? A pretty good what? Ad, addition, a good addition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was. Well, what had happened there was that the the whole thing was starting to fall apart. They'd gone through one of their management changes, and they were bringing in players, or, you know, or former players anyway, retired players or whatever, and and some hockey agents and uh, and people who didn't really cover hockey but had an opinion on life in general and that sort of stuff. And the thing was really getting kind of tedious. So Shirley Najak, who is about as close to John, I think, as you can get without being John, said, "Well, we need to we need to spark this up. We need to get back to what we used to have, where people wanted to watch it, to see some of the conflicts." So that's when they brought Milbury in, and then they needed somebody to conflict with Milbury. So they brought me back, and uh, that was intentional. You know, Shirelli went to Scott Ward, said, we, "We've got to bring him back. We can't. We need an edge on this show." So that was when I came back. But then Scott Moore, who's close friend is Brian Burke, decided that because I've been critical of the Leafs, they didn't need me anymore. Yeah, well, uh, and that's kind of how it works sometimes. Hey, I'd be remiss without, or we're joined by Al Strack, and he's written multiple books over the years. This one's called Hockey's Hot Stove. It's out at all available uh, indigos and chapters and that sort of thing. I think we're at 15% uh, in terms of uh, uh, attendance into those buildings to get in there to go purchase them. You can uh, obviously buy it online as well. Uh, I just want to ask you, who were the? Did you have any sort of influences as a writer yourself? Uh, you know, guys you kind of looked up to, uh, Al, when you first got into the business. 
the guys I admired, yeah. Um, Alan Abel was one of them. And, uh, in fact, I almost didn't take the job. They offered me a columnist job at the Globe and Mail because I didn't want to uh, be compared to Abel, who would be on the page opposite. He was such a good writer and a brilliant writer and, and still is, although he's now in Washington and pops up here and there and does mostly freelance stuff. And uh, I, I just – he was one of them. And then there's a guy by the name of Jim Lawton or James Lawton in Vancouver who came over. He was a British guy and, unfortunately, is now deceased. I went to his favorite pub in London the last time I was there, the Cheshire Cheese, and, and had a pint and just sort of thought about Jim. He was a really good guy. He worked in Vancouver. He's British, but he came over. I think he worked about six or seven years and, and did a book on Tiger Williams. So he was another one. And, of course, Roy McGregor, who is still around today, I'm pleased to say, and uh, is the Order of Canada and is just uh, an excellent writer and a and really, really nice man and uh, thinks of the kids, thinks of the outdoors, thinks of Canada the way it used to be and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think you do. And then one guy, strangely, you know, I grew up in Windsor, Ontario, used to read the Detroit Free Press all the time. And uh, Joe Falls in Detroit was always one of my idols. And later when I started to get into the newspaper business and got to know Joe because he would come along to the uh, same events I was at, basically, because he covered a lot of hockey. And I said, Joe, why did you become a sports writer? He said, because it's the only business I knew where you could throw your cigarette butts on the floor while you were working. <laughs> and so <laughs> that really wasn't one of my primary aims, but it, newspaper journalism had in those days a very relaxed attitude to people and to your code of conduct and stuff, and uh, I always thought that was pretty good. I think that's where the uh, term ink-stained wretch came from. Yes, one final, indeed. One final one for you, Al. You briefly mentioned how people access us today, and uh, you know I'm a broadcaster, and there's times I get it, Twitter, it is a different world, isn't it? It is, and, you know, I, I stay on Twitter, and I stay on Facebook, and sometimes I just I just wonder why I do, if it is worth it. People hide by behind, behind their anonymity, and they're just as abusive as they want, and you can't really have a proper discussion. I'd love to debate people, some might call it arguing, and uh, talk about different points of view, but, you know, you, you do it logically and quietly, and you say, well, here's this side, and he'll say, no, no, you're wrong about it, and I say, no, no, and I love to do it. You can't really do that in Twitter. You're down to 140 characters or whatever, and it very, very quickly turns into an abuse of the person in question, you know, and, you know, well, you're bald and you're stupid. What would you know about it, you know, and uh, so... <laughs> I, I, I get discouraged by it sometimes. I think it could be so much. And, and the same thing with Facebook. And, you know, I was on this little anecdote. guy I was on with yesterday, and he was talking. He's in England, and he talked about this woman who wasn't wearing uh, a face mask. And he, she was uh, upsetting him no end. And I said, well, she's probably one of those people who thinks they're entitled. You know, well, now he said, well, entitled is a right-wing term. And then somebody else chimes in and calls me a right-winger. And, you know, all I'm just saying is that I'm agreeing with you. You know, she's one of those people who thinks that she is too good to follow the norms that everybody else has to follow. And 
and I'm agreeing with him, and I'm in the midst of this great political discussion and getting a lot of abuse. So sometimes you wonder if they're worth it, and uh, they're not what they could be, that's for sure. Uh, just a thought here uh, on our Ashley Five Floors text line to close out, Al. Uh, the coach has texted the show to say, I used to love the battles that Al Strachan would have with Mike Milbury and how Al would put Mike in his place. Uh, so there, 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 there you go. I see, see it that way. <laughs> I, I was going to say, you could do it with words. Uh, there's no question. Al, much appreciated. Best of luck with the book, and thank you for your time. Good. Thank you for having me. You bet. That is Al Strack. And again, the book is Hockey's Hot Stove. Uh, when we come back in one minute's time, we're going to get to a little bit of uh, trivia for Greta Barr. This is Oilers Now. It's 127 in Edmonton. Uh, Ken Holland is doing a, uh, he obviously did our show early, uh, verified that uh, Oscar Clefbaum will not be available this season. Gene Principe has just tweeted out, Ken Holland's doing an availability right now. A bit of an update on Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Actually, uh, the update is that there is no update. Basically, our conversations have ended, but hopefully we can find a solution to keep Nuge in an Edmonton Oilers uniform, but the deal has to work for both sides. There you go. There's your update. Uh, so, again, saying that our conversations have ended. But hopefully we can find a solution to keep Nuge in an Edmonton Oilers uniform, and the deal has to work for both sides. That from Ken Holland on Ryan Nugent Hopkins. We go into Oilers Now Trivia, brought to you by Greta Global Street Food, Greta Bar, Eat, Drink, and Play. You have to call in to win at 780-496-0063, our River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline. It's quite an easy question. Four years ago today, this date in Oilers history, the Edmonton Oilers beat the Arizona Coyotes 3-2 in the desert. Which Oilers forward got a Gordie Howe Patrick in that game? A goal, an assist, and a fight. And it was a Mutt and Jeff routine uh, in the, the fight. Got a call in, 780-496-0063. That is our Greta Bar trivia question for Greta Global Street Food. Greta Bar, eat, drink, and play. Up for grabs, a $50 uh, gaming GC. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Dylan Gunther would re-return on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.